0: Friends, you'll allow me, I'm sure, to begin this morning's sermon with a word or two to the children, to the younger people. There'll be no objections if I do that, I'm sure, even if they are still going to do that. So boys and girls, I want to say this to you, that it is really important for you and for me and for the people of God to regularly attend church Now you see what I'm saying, I'm sure, that it's very important uh, that we do not skip moments like this. Really important that we don't skip church if we are tired and if we have something better on or there's a party or even if the World Cup is on, uh, boys and girls. But it's important that we as the people of God prioritize gathering together as his church to worship God you understand that boys and girls don't you you understand that I'm sure and so because of that I want to say this to, to the younger people it really has been wonderful over the last few weeks and months to see how consistent you have been at church I'm sure the adults would agree with this it has been a wonderful thing to see that most of the young people in this church have been here for most of the sermons through this Old Testament book of Malachi. So, boys and girls, that is a wonderful thing. We're really enthused by this. But do you know what it enables me to do? It enables me, boys and girls, to put you to the test. See, I wonder this. I wonder if any of you younger people have noticed that every week in this sermon series, Malachi the Pit has said the same thing. You notice that? Every time, Mr. Priest or myself has read God's word, you've heard the same thing every week. Anyone notice that, boys and girls? No? Okay, let me point it out to you. So maybe if you look at your Bibles, maybe the adults can help. If you look to Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2, as quick as you can, boys and girls, have a look at what we've got. Malachi chapter 1 verse 2. I'll read it. Malachi says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, boys and girls, what are the next three words? Do you see them? But you see. Now, look on to verse 7. As quick as you can, boys and girls. We read this. By offering polluted food upon my altar, what do you see? But you see. Same thing, isn't it, boys and girls? It is, isn't it? And guess what? If you were to look at chapter 2, verse 17, you would see the same thing. If you looked into chapter 3, verse 7, you would see the same thing all the way through. Now, boys and girls, look at me now. Do you appreciate, do you understand what Malachi is doing there? But you see, but you see. Do you know what he's doing? He is putting words into the people's mouths. You see this community here, the people of Israel, at this point they've got lots of complaints against God. They've been really wicked. They've got lots of accusations against God. So what does Malachi do? He says, but you see, you see he gives expression to their complaints. He verbalizes the complaints that people have against the Lord God. Now boys and girls, do you think I can allow The adults back into the sermon now. Yes, and got a big thumbs up and a, a nod of the head. Friends, you surely noticed a moment ago that in our section of scripture today, from verse 13 of chapter 3 to 4 to 3 of chapter 4, you noticed that Malachi again uses that device, did you? This expression appears again. But I wonder this, friend. Did you notice the complaint that people have today, this time around, against the Lord God. Would you look at it with me? Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. And as you look at it, listen to me. Everything in the section is said in response to this complaint. We have to get this complaint right. Do you see it? Malachi says, you have said, and then listen. It is vain to serve God. I mean, aren't you struck by that? Friends, who's who's saying that? This is the people of Israel, isn't it? Like this is the covenant community. And they are saying it is vain to serve God. How do they go on? They say, what is the profit? How does it benefit us to keep walking with God or keeping his charge? And we have to call arrogant people blessed. And then look how they end this. Do you see in verse 14? They say, God, evildoers not only prosper... But God, they put God to the test. And evildoers, because of God, they escape. So I'm saying to you, friends, do you see what the complaint is this morning? Do you see what we're dealing with here? These people are saying there is no point in following God. There's nothing in this for us. There is absolutely no benefit in being true to God. Other people who don't follow God, they prosper, they flourish following God, being true to God is a complete and utter waste of time. And immediately, at the very start of this service, I have to try and apply that to us in here. And let's face this head on. The Christian life is hard going, don't you think Like, I don't think we should feel sorry for ourselves in here, not a bit of it. But I think we do have to acknowledge the Christian life is hard going. That is something that has taken me by surprise as a Christian. I've said before to you from the pulpit that I became a Christian in my early 20s. And can I tell you what I thought when I became a Christian? I thought from that point on, life was going to be a breeze. I thought, I've become a Christian. Jesus is on my side. God is on my side. So therefore, the Christian life is just going to be a bed of roses. This is going to be easy, and it is proved to be anything but. And if you were a Christian in here this morning, you know that that is true. You know that the Christian life is difficult. Even this, isn't this hard? Isn't life as a Christian in a congregation burdensome sometimes? These people we have to try and love and like and the tasks and the duties and service. And, and what about even the spiritual disciplines? Like we're supposed to be men and women of prayer. And, and we're supposed to be reading and studying scripture. That's hard. Go in. And what about our sanctification? I mean, your next door neighbor, they don't have this warfare going on. Like they don't have this massive conflict with sin. It's hard. I and mean, here's the point. Where can it end if we're not ever so careful as Christians and prayerful? Where can it? We can end up in Malachi 3. If we're not prayerful, if we're not devoted to God, we can get to the place where we say there is no point. What's the point in this? What's the point of coming along week in, week out to London City Presbyterian Church? I'm not benefiting from this. I'm not getting my friends, family who are unbelieving. They're prospering. There's nothing in this. What's the point of following Jesus? Well, friend, Christian friend, if you are there, if that thought has even crossed your mind in recent times, I want you to hear this, the main point of our section today. Will you hear it? We're shown in Malachi 3 and 4 that even if we can't see it now, On that final day when all things end, we shall see and know that it has been worthwhile to follow Jesus. Even if you can't see it now, even if you're struggling to see it on that day, everything will be seen to be worthwhile in Christ. And what we're going to do just now is we're going to look at that conclusion from two different perspectives and two different angles. We're going to focus on last day. So if you're taking notes, this is our first of the two angles. We're shown here what awaits on the final day for the wicked. What awaits for the final day for the wicked. Okay friends, you ready to get our teeth into this? text of holy scripture, if you would look with me to verse 18, have a look, even the boys and girls, if we all do this, let's look at verse 18. Now, you notice, if you just glance through the verse with me, verse 18, you notice that God there speaks of a distinction. Do you see that? A distinction that's going to take place in this great day. All the way through this section, you notice he speaks of this great day that's coming. And he speaks of a distinction if, you're, if you read carefully, you see it's a distinction between, on this great day, a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Now, what is the first thing that we want to know, do you think? Like, if there's going to be, on this great day of God, there's going to be a separation between the righteous and the wicked, what do we want to know, if you're reading this? We want to know what constitutes a righteous person and a wicked person in the eyes of god right if there's going to be this great separation we need who's the righteous who's the wicked okay now so what do we have do we have any clues at this i think we've got a couple if you read on in verse 18 through the parallelism there you see that the righteous are those who serve god in verse 18 and the wicked are those who do not Serve God. So what's the first hint that we've got from Scripture? Who are the righteous? They are those people who are devoted to Yahweh, devoted to God. So that's a good hint, but I think we're actually explicitly told the answer if you look up to verse 16. And as you see, it, verse 16 is such a great verse. It's an amazing verse, really, because you're told there of a special group that exists within israel this kind of inner group in the covenant community and it's clearly a group that god regards as being righteous this righteous inner group now my question to you is this how does malachi describe this inner righteous group do you see who it is in verse 16 these are people who fear the lord And if you're following me at this point, you can see that that answers the question. Because we all in here know what it means to fear the Lord when you hear that in the Old Testament. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to trust in God, doesn't it? It means to personally follow God. So what is the answer to the question? Who are the righteous in the eyes of God? It is people who believe. Isn't that the answer to the question? Who are the righteous in the eye of God? Believers are righteous in the eye. Think of Abraham. What do we know of Abraham? He believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. you, You with me? The righteous are those who believe. And God is saying here. That for those who don't. On the last day. They will be separated God is saying that the wicked on this last day That the unbelieving on this great day God is saying they will be set to the side They will be put to the side They will be put away And they will be cast off Are you with me? We see that the wicked are separated That's the first thing about the wicked There's something else Because we are also told here that on this great day The wicked will be punished I don't know if you've ever been a part of the world That experiences forest fires before Given the sort of multicultural element of our congregation It might actually be that you are from A part of the world that sometimes gets forest fires Are you? I'm from Scotland So There's more chance of a forest flooding then there is of a forest fire in scotland so it seems to be a little bit distant in my mind or it was until reasonably recently when we as a family went to the south of france on a holiday and at that time the south of france was experiencing a drought and as a scottish bloke i'd never seen Anything like this. drought before. like you, you know it probably. Everything scorched. Everything just dusty and barren. And there was that sort of sensation when you're going to walk and you step on leaves. And what happens? The leaves just crack. You know, don't they? When they're dried out in parts, there's been just sun, baking heat, and the leaves just crack and it gives off dust. Amazing thing. Do you know the picture? You've you've been there before. That there is the sort of idea that you have to have when you move into chapter 4 of Malachi. Because look at how Malachi describes unbelievers in verse 1. Do you see it with me, please? He calls them stubble. The wicked art, like stubble. And it's the idea of just try, Dad. Dusty, chaff, vegetation. Now move on. What does God promise to do though? Look at this in verse 1. He says that this great day that he's speaking of is going to arrive as a fire and it's going to ignite, it's going to set ablaze the wicked, the unbelieving as though they were these leaves, these dried out bits of chaff. Do you see the message from God to his people here? Friend, do you see it? Do you hear it? I mean, Israel is speaking of these arrogant people that never seem to get what's due to them, aren't they? That's the complaint. These people, these arrogant unbelievers, they never get their come And what's God saying there? He's saying, no, you don't understand. You don't understand, you think they're going to escape? There's a day coming when the fires will be ignited. There's a day when my wrath at sinners will be seen. And I, I'm, I'm standing here wondering this. What you think of that? I mean, have, have we just become numb to this idea of a, of a coming divine punishment and sin? I mean, it's this? It just doesn't move you. It's, it's, you're tired. Last yesterday was difficult. Last night was there wasn't much sleep. And and okay, you've heard it before. But don't you see? There's punishment coming for those who are outside. Of, Christ, for unbelievers, punishment coming. Does it not move us? If not, maybe this will. Because I want to press on you a nuance of this punishment that God underlines here. I really do. Because I'm sure that we've all heard in Scripture, you know your Bibles well, I'm sure you've heard God speak in Scripture of a branch or a root. Haven't we? A God in the Old Testament speaking of saving a remnant through his Messiah. And and you know how it works, maybe in Isaiah God will be punishing his people, won't he? God will be chastising his people, but what will he say? He'll speak of a branch or a root, he'll say, There's hope. Though I am punishing you, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Though I am punishing you, I'm going to raise up a branch, a a root. We all know that. Do you know that language? Yes. Then doesn't your heart break when you read the end of verse 1? Because what does God say? He says, he will set the wicked ablaze on this day so that it will leave, what? Neither root nor branch. No root, no branch. You hear the message from Almighty God? You see what he's saying? He's saying on this day when it comes, it's not just that the wicked are going to receive punishment. That's not the message for the unbelieving. It's not just that they will receive punishment. It's that they will receive punishment without any hope. Like just darkness. Darkness. There is no light at the end of the tunnel, no route, no branch. There is no escape possible at all on that day. Now, I know this is heavy, but I want to uh, look to you for agreement. Do we all in here understand what our horizon is this morning? Do you understand what day we're considering just now? You understand, don't you, that we are thinking of here the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thinking here of the return of the Messiah. Yes. But what does this mean for you and for me just now? How do we relate to this? What's the application of these verses here? Well, first of all, let me ask a question to the Christian in here. Friend, I ask you if you're a believer, was the start of this morning's sermon relevant and pertinent to your own life? Like when I was talking about getting to a point where you're saying there is no benefit in church and in Christ to me. When I was talking about the thought going through your mind of giving up on your faith and giving up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that where you are this morning, Christian friend? Honestly. If it is, do you see what God is showing you in Malachi 3 and 4? God today showing you the greatest Blessing and benefit of your faith and your salvation do you see that like, do you see what God is doing he's saying to you today: there is a day coming and he's saying to you it's going to be an awful day in a sense and it's going to be a day of fire and fury and a day of judgment and a day of condemnation and yet what will happen to you on that day because of what Christ Jesus has done because of what he has achieved on the cross what happens to you on that day we listen to the words, you will be spared. Do we ever linger at that? That we, on that great day of fury and final wrath, we will be saved. And so I'm saying to you, Christian, surely that moves your heart, doesn't it? Surely it thrills you a little bit. There's refuge. You have refuge already under the wings of God, doesn't it? Doesn't it push us on? Isn't it incentive to persevere in the Christian walk? But if I have to speak to the Christian, do I not also have to speak to the person who is not a believer? The person who is outside of Christ and who has not professed faith in him today? Friend, is it the case with you, if you are not a Christian this morning, that you have for such a long time looked on at Christianity with doubts is that where you're at this morning for such a long time you've looked on at Christianity with doubts I don't just I don't mean you know doubts about the gospel I think you know it's true I think you really know there's some truth here in this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ I don't mean doubts about the gospel I mean doubts about the benefit for you you see it Asking, is there really anything to be gained by bowing to Christ? I'll have to change this. I will have to change that if I come to Jesus. Is it worthwhile? Well, do you not see what God is doing here with you? He's showing you what is at stake. And I'll tell you this, I find this next bit troubling. And I've wrestled with whether I would say it or not. And I'm going to say it. You see on this last day that we're talking about when Christ returns. London City Presbyterian Church most likely is going to be separated. And honestly, as an elder and a minister of a congregation like that, that's not easy to think through. But most likely that is what we are going to experience. There will be separation. I pray Oh, I pray that on this day, the vast majority of us will be on that day seen to be the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ, the flock of God. That the great shepherd of Israel on that day will usher the majority of us to himself. That it will be a great day for the huge majority of LCPC. I hope that we will be shown the pastures. The Lord Jesus Christ will usher us into our heavenly home on that last day. But then I have this though. That for some of you, that will not be the reality. And that for some of you on that last day, you will be left behind. And you will be separated There will be this distinction. Yes, there will be the sheep and the flock of God, but there will be goats that you will be cast off. You will be left to the side. Do you really say what is the benefit of the gospel? This morning God is offering you refuge and salvation. You can identify with the Lord Jesus Christ through his work. Is that not worth your consideration today? But then if we see what awaits on the final day for the wicked, we have to look at this conclusion from the other perspective, don't we? So what is it that awaits on the final day for the righteous? What awaits for the final day in the righteous? Now let me speak to the mums and dads of of LCPC for a second. For the parents, let's put the parents in the hot seat for a moment Especially if you're a parent of young kids Mums and dads, at this precise moment Do you teach your children To learn and memorise verses of the Bible? Like I know, believe me, what a struggle family worship can be But to the mums, to the grandparents, to the dads, to the whole lot Is scripture memorization something that we are enforcing at home? Are we teaching verses of the Bible to our children? Do we do that? Do you do that? Mums and dads and annies and grandpas and so forth. My uh, parents uh, did this for a while uh, with myself and my brother. A couple of tearaways when we were young, but my parents persisted. So every meal, our evening meal, we would eat, we would have worship. And then we would be, the book would come out, notebook, and my dad would have these verses that we had to read. And I'll be uh, honest with you, uh, I was not the biggest fan of the scripture memorization as a young kid, didn't like it much. I just, it was slow going, it was tough going, and I, of course, wanted to be outside playing football, didn't want to be learning verses of the Bible, right? You get the picture, everyone? Then fast forward 20 years. And there I am, I'm sitting on the edge of my bed as a young bloke. And I've just come at faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in what was quite a dramatic way. And do you know what I'm doing? I'm scratching my head. Because I know the Holy Spirit has done something beautiful and marvelous. But I can't work it out exactly. Like I'm struggling, I'm wrestling with what exactly it is that the Holy Spirit has wrought in my heart. What has God done here? This is beautiful, this is amazing, what is it? And do you know what happened? You do know what happened, don't you? At that point, all these verses that I've been forced to memorise as a child, they all came flooding back into my mind, and I'm sitting there on the edge of my bed, and it's First John 1 verse 8, and it's, John 3 16 and you know what I was able to understand not everything but through those verses I was able to understand at least something of the beauty and the glory that God had done by grace in my life beautiful now here's the point it was only at a later date that I was able to enjoy the fruit of my earlier struggles and strains you see that it was only a later date that I could enjoy the fruit of what I'd gone through as a kid. And if you are a believer in here this morning, I want to remind you of the thesis of this section of scripture. Do you remember what it is? It is only at a later date. It is only when Christ returns that you're going to truly appreciate the glory of your present struggles and strife. You see... Only when Christ returns will we see how blessed our salvation truly is. Only on that day. But I don't know about you. For me that raises the question. Because I know, you know, that what is ahead of us is beautiful. Isn't that what keeps us going? What's going to happen when we see Jesus is going to be glorious. It's marvelous. And I want to know what it is. Well here, Malachi just throws us a few Gems. He throws you a hint, a glimpse of what is coming in Christ. And I just want to point you to them. The first is this, that on that glorious day, for us, for you and me, there will be remembrance. Have a look at verse 16. What a verse it is. Get verse 16. So we've talked about this inner group of believers in Israel And what does God say? He says in verse 16, he speaks of writing their names in a book. Now, if you're a Christian and if you've been at a church for many years, you are familiar with that idea, aren't you, in the Bible, of names being written and recorded in a book? Everyone, we know that idea. But here's the difference. Where Old Testament kings would record people's name in a book if they had done something nice for them. You know, the kings would record a name if somebody's done some merciful act towards the king. You answer me it. Who does God record? Do you see? He records those who fear him. God records. Those who esteem his name. And isn't that precious for you if you are a Christian this morning? Because what does it mean? It means that you, in your death on this last day, you will be remembered Christian friends that if on this last day as you are analysed by God and you are found to have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ in this life do you know that your name is going to be read aloud before all of the earth what is it that John says in Revelation what does John see he sees a great white throne and he sees he who is seated upon the throne what else does John see He sees the dead. He sees the dead great and small, says John. And they all stand before him who is seated on this great white throne. And what happens? The books are opened. The names are read aloud from the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that marvelous? Julian's name on the last day. Read aloud for all the earth to hear. And Adrian's name and Brad's name and Gabriel's name and my name and your name. If you were in Christ Jesus on that last day by the Lord Jesus Christ, your name read aloud for all to hear. You will be Christian friend remembered. But then there's another future blessing because there will also be belonging. Look at verse 17. I think verse 17 starts off really innocuously. Like almost low-key, it would appear, verse 17. Look how it starts. God simply says, On that day, they will, my people will be mine. So you with me? It doesn't sound that great. It sounds kind of innocuous. It doesn't seem that grand until you realize two things about that phrase. The first is this, that in the Hebrew text, the word mine is emphatic isn't that glorious God is saying of you he's saying of his people they will on that day be seen to be mine, mine they shall be that we will belong to him and then the second thing you have to realize about that that phrase there is how God reinforces it with a metaphor, look at it God quotes Exodus 19 and he says that we will be his treasured possession he uses a idea from ancient warfare i think even the boys and girls could explain this they know this do you boys and girls that in ancient wars the victor the victorious army would get all the riches wouldn't they that's right so the victorious nation the victorious people would take all of the treasure and all of the riches but here's the thing In the ancient world, a special portion of treasure would be given to the victorious king. I love that idea, don't you? That the victorious king over his army, he would receive the best of the stuff. A special portion. And it was treasure that this king would put to his side. A treasure that he would keep always with him. And do you see what Malachi is saying here? Friend, you are the personal treasure... Of the king of kings. Isn't it glorious? Malachi saying that you will on that day. Everyone will see you belong to God. You are his. He will say mine. Mine. You are mine. What did Adrian read out earlier on? We will be seen to be a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. And then wait for it. On that day everyone will know we are a people. For God's own possession. And then the last of these, the last thing. What awaits us? What awaits you, Christian friends? When Christ Jesus returns, what awaits? Joy awaits. This is the last verse that I'll get you to look at, I I promise you. But look into chapter 4 and verse 2. It's a very confusing verse. But God speaks of a son, S-U-N of righteousness that will rise on this great day. And you can take it from me, I'm sure, and you believe me when I say a lot of ink has been spilt trying to work out what is this S-U-N, the sun of righteousness, that appears on this great day. I I, I think we can get the gist of what Malachi is talking about. On this great day, we know the day, the eschatological moment Christ returns. Who appears? Christ Jesus appears. Such is his glory that it will shine like the rays of the sun. And did you notice the benefit for you and me here? God says the sun, the S-U-N, will come with healing in its wings. And I tell you this, that has made all the difference to my life this week. Because you see what it means when Christ returns, all of this hurt That we experience and all the pain that we experience, it goes. See the anguish in your life with illness and the anguish with the family problems that you have and all these relationships are breaking down. All of that on the last day, it's not just so much that it's taken and it goes. On the last day, we're going to be healed. We're going to be mended by the grace of god on that last day and we're going to jump for joy and i don't mean so much that that's just an expression did you see a scripture that god actually says no we're going to (laughs) leap i don't know how you feel like leaping today but we're going to leap like calves in a stall says god are you really a christian in here who is saying today what is the point in following jesus Really saying, what's the point in serving the Lord Jesus Christ through a congregation of his church, the body of Christ? Are you really in that place? Don't you see a day is coming that is beautiful, it is glorious, it is majestic. A day where you're going to see and praise the Son of God. It will be a day when this question that Israel asks, what do they ask? What does it profit us to serve the Lord? It's going to be a day where that's going to be shown to be a ludicrous question. Friends, I have to just end with this last thought. How is this possible? Because you look at your last week with me as a believer. And what do you see? You see sin. And don't you see impatience with people? Haven't you been like that? Haven't you spoken words out of turn? Hasn't there been anger? Has there, for some of you, been drunkenness this week? Has there been for you sexual immorality, laziness, greed? How can it possibly be that people like us will have such a glorious future? Well, I think all the believers in here know this truth, that we can only look forward to this coming, rising sun of righteousness. How? Because of the righteousness of the sun. And isn't that what stands out of this portion of scripture? Did you see the simile that God uses here? He says that you and me, we will be spared on that day as a man spares his son who serves him. As a man spares his son who serves him. Where does that send you? It sends me the gospel. That such was the service of the son of God to his father in perfect obedience to him on this earth and dying to bear our sin what has the Father done? He has spared his son who serves him, hasn't he? He has risen. He has raised the Lord Jesus, sparing him from everlasting life. And it is only by Christ that we have, as the people of God, such a future ahead. Friends, I hope and I wonder whether you've heard what God is saying to you this morning. He is imploring you to live in light of the final day. Will we not allow what is coming to us then to shape how we live as Christians today? Because I can make you this promise. There's a new dawn coming. And the sun of righteousness shall one day rise. And for all who have bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, it shall rise with healing in its wings. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for the great eschatological day of the Lord. Lord, we do pray and ask that as Scripture confronts us with the the reality of judgment and condemnation for those outside of Christ. Lord, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, we do pray that you would give us a greater concern for those who haven't heard the gospel and for those who haven't responded to the good news. But we also can but praise you and thank you for what it is that you have done are doing and will do in our salvation. Lord, we thank you even for this great assurance that we have in verse 16 of this chapter that you heard those who feared you and you responded to them. So for us in here who fear you and trust you, we ask that you would hear us as we pray that today might be a day of salvation for some at London City Presbyterian Church. We pray, Lord God, that you would impute righteousness, that you would clothe some in the purity of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.